everyone, and welcome to our show, Let's Finish Cancer, where we bring you the brightest cancer experts and compassionate cancer navigators. Our goal is to make you stronger at a time you might feel at your weakest and to empower you to make the best decisions for you and your family. You'll hear about the latest in technology and treatment options, stories of patients and survivors, doctors that see you as more than a cancer diagnosis, and a whole person approach to cancer care. We want to be on your journey with you, and we know at times it can be bumpy, but we're here and we want to help you forward. I'm your host, Mary Ranoff, and here with me today is Dr. Jennifer Pascoe, a specialist in hepatobiliary and pancreatic surgery from Spokane, Washington. And today we're discussing pancreatic cancer. Well, okay, let's get started by welcoming our guest today, Dr. Pascoe. Hello. Oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> She's here. Tell us, um, tell us a little bit about your role with Providence before we get started. Yeah, so I am a hepatobiliary surgeon here at Providence Sacred Heart in Spokane. And what that big long word means is basically I take care of liver, pancreas, gallbladder, bile duct, mainly oncology, um, and do surgery on them. I am so glad that you said the word and didn't make me say it. Thank you. <laughs> I, I've practiced this so many times. And as you know, I practice it and it didn't do me any good. So <laughs> no worries. It's a hard one. It's a mouthful. <laughs> it is. It is. I, I have to start at a very high level. What are kind of like the typical situations? Like what are the most common illnesses when you have the pancreas and liver? You know, I think hot topic things that we hear about are, you know, pancreas cancer, um, metastatic colorectal mets, or primary liver cancers such as hepatocellular carcinoma or cholangiocarcinoma. Girl, you have like the best vocabulary. I mean, those are like, those are big words. <laughs> I went to school a long time to say them. <laughs> <laughs> you earned it. You earned the right. Oh my gosh. Well, talk to me then. Let's talk about pancreatic cancer, right? That's a big one. I know I've, I've heard a lot about it lately. There've been some celebrities who've had it. Talk to me a little bit about what it is, how you diagnose it, how you treat it. Yeah. So it's really interesting that, you know, I think pancreas cancer has gotten a bad rap um, because, you know, I think if you ask people 20 years ago, they would think it is a death sentence. But really, um, I think, you know, pancreas cancer is going to be the, the second leading cause of death by the year of 2030 in the United States. And it's currently the third leading cause of death. Um, really? In the United States. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. And, you know, it's with celebrities such as, you know, Alex Trebek and Patrick Swayze that have brought a lot of, um, you know, awareness around pancreas cancer. And I think, you know, it, it is something that is not going away and it's going to be something that's much more of a household um, word, unfortunately. And, you know, in reading through your bio and kind of having conversations, it seems to me like a lot of what you do is surgical, but you're also doing other forms of treatment for something like a, a cancer of the pancreas, right? Yeah. You know, I always talk about uh, the combo deal, right? Uh, I specialize in a very niched portion of the body. And so I do know a lot about the other modalities that we need to use uh, to treat this cancer. And I think many experts in the field will tell you that this is a systemic disease. Um, and what that means is, is you need the combo deal. And I tell people, if you're going to McDonald's, you want a burger, fry and a Coke. If you have pancreas cancer, you want to get chemotherapy, surgery, and sometimes radiation. Wow. First of all, we're not promoting McDonald's, guys. It's not a healthy not lifestyle. At all. Not at all. <laughs> but we are, we're we are, we are doing the full meal deal. <laughs> 
<laughs> you you will get the full meal deal for cancer. Well, not 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 to make a joke of cancer because you just talked about it being like it's the third leading cause. Basically, is it is it one of the cancers that if you catch it really early, you have really good odds of survival? Talk to me a little bit about that. So I think everything is based with pancreas cancer on how you present and where you are at presentation. Um, most of the data we know is that patients who present early um, have the, the best chance at going on to get surgical intervention, which is really the only chance at definitive cure. Um, and so, you know, I only get to take about 15 to 20% of patients that come to my clinic to surgery because oftentimes it's already progressed or um, it's just not resectable. And so unfortunately there's no screening um, for pancreas cancer at this time. Trust me, there's a lot of work going into it um, to find uh, whether it's a blood test or a you know, detection agent for us to figure out. Um, Cause it's not like breast cancer, it's not a mammogram or it's not like a colonoscopy for colon cancer. Well, I was going to ask you, how would I even know? Like, are there symptoms I should be looking for? Are there blood tests that can be done? What's the skinny there? Yeah, the pancreas is just this phenomenal organ because the head of the pancreas actually kind of does the job. It has a bile duct that runs through it. And so oftentimes if patients do have a lesion in the head of their pancreas, they will have, they will change the color of their skin. And that's one of the most dramatic changes. Um, and then people can have abdominal pain. Weight loss is very common with this disease. But if you have a, a lesion that's in the body or tail, you may have very vague symptoms such as just like weight loss or fatigue or not feeling well because you, you just may not know that it's there. I mean, that could be anything. That could be depression for crying out loud. I know. Loud. I know. Okay, so help me out here because you're kind of depressing me a little bit. It's a big <laughs> it's a big killer and I don't have a screening for no. it. So make me feel better. Tell me good things about it. Tell me about how you can cure it. Tell me about my survival. Give me some happiness. Well, I think, you know, everything is in perspective, right? So when I started training, you know, where we are today is very far from where we were then. And, you know, I'm going to tell you the all-comer five-year survival for this cancer is about 10%. But if you look at the patients who present early and have local regional disease, there actually is about a 37% chance of five-year survival. And so I think oftentimes we can spin uh, pancreas cancer to be something that's very negative. But I actually think, you know, as someone who works in this field every day, that we're making lots of headway. There's tons of clinical trials going on. There's lots of research and efforts being put into this. And so, you know, I think in 2018, we had the best like clinical trial data to date, which was with surgery and with chemotherapy, a median survival of about 54 months. Um, and so, you know, that's like groundbreaking. Um, so I feel really positive about where we're headed. And I want people to have hope because, you know, that's the only thing that's going to get you through this treatment process and the surgery because none of it's easy. Cancer isn't easy. And so um, I think you got to be positive. 
Oh, it makes such a difference. And I can tell that you're very passionate about what you do, which probably helps a lot too, because it is it is going to be a challenging position for sure. By the way, I love that I could hear the helipad uh, behind you. You must be working <laughs> in the, right? Somebody is arriving. I love it when we're, we're on location, you get to hear the hospital fun sounds. I like, I love it when you get to hear the baby being born. Like you were talking about how, you know, there are certain things that can be done and improve kind of the livelihood or the length of, of you know, time that you have. Is that all up to you as the doctor, the person giving me my treatment, or is there something I can do as a patient that helps my survival chances? Well, if we think about risk factors in general, so I think it's really important because there are no screening tools that, you know, the patient kind of has to be their own advocate. And so what we know is that patients who have a history of chronic pancreatitis um, have about an eight times risk of developing pancreas cancer. Also obesity. So 12% of patients with pancreas cancer have are obese or designated as obese. And then um, patients who have had newly diagnosed uh, diabetes, uh, there's about a two times risk increase of pancreas cancer. Um, and then smoking. So smoking also is a big risk factor with pancreas cancer. So these are all modifiable risks that you yourself can change. I mean, those are definitely lifestyle situations, right? Are there anything that I would need to worry about, about like my genetics, my ethnicity? Is there anything that makes me more predisposed there? Yeah. Um, so I will tell you, men typically are have a higher rate of diagnosis, but it's not like statistically significant. But African-Americans actually have a much higher risk of developing pancreas cancer and dying from it. And a lot of it has to do with access to social uh, social services and access to care. And so, um, you know, it's something that we really need to, to focus on in the community. Also, Ashkenazi Jews um, also carry an increased risk. And some of that has to do with their genetics. Um, and so if you know you're a carrier of the BRCA genetic line, then that's something that you should be doing screening for pancreas cancer. Wow. It's so many things. I mean, what you were talking about too, everything seems to relate back to health equity, right? If you don't have access to good ho housing and food and healthcare, and and if you're stressed, if you're not eating right, it's so much of it can impact it. So I, I appreciate you for calling that out. Um, I do want to ask, because we are talking a little bit genetics with that last piece, is, is there anything I could learn from genetic testing to find out about pancreatic cancer or pancreas cancer? So, you know, it's really interesting that it's currently like a national guideline that everyone who's diagnosed with pancreas cancer actually should be seeing a genetic counselor. Um, and so I refer every one of my patients to a genetic counselor to, you know, assess their risks, not only for themselves, but for their children. Um, and, you know, oftentimes, you know, I'll tell you, it, less than 5% of all pancreas cancer is related to genetics. But if you're part of that 5%, it really is important. So. Ugh. Yeah, I can imagine that would be a hard one. That would be a hard one. So I guess that makes sense then that it, I wouldn't say runs in the family, but if I, if my father had it, I would then want to be more cautious. Is that correct? Exactly. And I, I think that we would encourage genetic testing in that situation. And what about like, if, if I did say go into remission or you were able to get it out, that sort of thing, what are the odds that it would come back? Is this one of those cancers that recurs? Like my dad has bladder cancer and basically every 18 to 24 months he gets it again, right? We go through chemo, we remove it, whatever. He goes, gets checked out every six months. He's fine for three of them and then boom, it's back. What about this kind of cancer? 
Yeah, you know, I think pancreas cancer, I always worry about it coming back. Um, and I think, you know, as patients go through their treatment process, I think, you know, there is some coming to terms that pancreas cancer is going to be a part of their life. Um, but do I believe in a cure? And do I believe that people can reach, you know, a five year kind of five years is when we kind of celebrate and, you know, the fireworks go off. But we have a very stringent screening process after surgery and after chemotherapy is completed. Basically, you're getting CT scans every three months uh, for the first two years. And then we we kick it out to about six months. Um, we're screening you with a, a tumor marker. It's not exactly specific. It's not as exactly like sensitive to everyone because not everyone produces this tumor marker, but it can be a good tool for us to follow. Um, so, yeah, I tell my patients we're friends for life. <laughs> You're, you can't get rid of me anytime. That's right. <laughs> well, I think I've used the word remission a couple of times because that's what I'm used to when I talk about cancer. But it doesn't really sound to me like you have a true remission with pancreas cancer or am I wrong? Well, I think, you know, for some people, yes. But I would say the majority of patients, their cancer will return in their lifetime. And at this point where we are today, and I would say that, yes, pancreas cancer is it just comes back. That's me saying it, it reminds me of a systemic disease because it does come back. It's, it's a hard cancer to kill. And so I don't usually talk about remission. I talk about no evidence of disease. And I think, uh, for me, I, I feel a little bit better about using that terminology because I, I don't know, like if I don't see any disease, then, you know, it's good. It's all good. And then, uh, at five years, if you haven't had any, evidence of disease, we can call it remission. Okay. Well, there's hope then. Yeah. Um, I want to go back a few minutes. I meant to ask you this and I got all sidetracked. Um, you mentioned that you have a higher percentage of getting the cancer if you've had, I think you said pancreatitis repeatedly or something. What actually is pancreatitis? Because I'm not sure that I know that. Yeah. So pancreatitis is a uh, chronic inflammation of the pancreas. So just like when we talk about liver cirrhosis, um, people who drink heavily, um, it creates a chronic irritation um, that in an inflamed state of the pancreas, which we know uh, carries a background for developing cancers. So not only in the liver, but also in the pancreas. Um, and then, but lots of things can cause chronic pancreatitis. I, you know, there's autoimmune, there's, you know, hereditary pancreatitis. Um, but I would say that the majority of cases uh, actually have to do with alcohol abuse um, or chronic alcohol exposure. That makes sense. That makes sense. I find myself wondering, Doc, how'd you get into this area, this specialty area, right? Like, did you know you <laughs> wanted to do this? Did you come into it? And like, how did that happen? No, no. I went to school and I was going to be a geriatrician. Um, really? So, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but now I just do geriatric surgery. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, I actually just fell in love. I, the liver, gallbladder, and pancreas are just like, I don't know. It's a technically, it's a technically beautiful surgery. Um, I love the liver as well as the pancreas. They're just awesome organs. And I really feel like after treating patients with this disease, there's just, they're just such a rewarding group of people. They're just so grateful uh, to have someone who's you know, willing to, to do their surgery, to walk through with them. It's just, it's actually just an honor to be a part of this experience with someone. 
I'm not sure I've ever heard anybody say the pancreas is just a really cool organ. Um, but I like it. I like your passion. I love that you love what you're doing. Um, well, since I know you do the surgeries, talk to me a little about what the surgery looks like. Is it like your typical surgery? Is this a robotic surgery? How long does it take? Give me the skinny. Yeah, I think, you know, depending on where the cancer is, um, is very critical. So if it's in the head of the pancreas, it's, it's a major surgery. It's one of the biggest surgeries you can have in general surgery. It's called a Whipple procedure. And basically I take out the head of the pancreas and I reconnect your stomach, your pancreas and your bile duct. Um, so basically I'm a glorified plumber um, and I just kind of wrote a route the GI system. Um, if it's in the distal portion, I take out the distal portion of your pancreas as well as your spleen. Um, and that's just based on blood supply that I do those things. And some of these can be done minimally invasive. I typically do head of the pancreas surgeries, uh, still in an open fashion. Uh, I just feel it's, um, it's, it's a little bit faster, um, open. So, but we do distal pancreatectomies robotically and wow. Yeah. I do want to say you're not the first doctor to refer to themselves as a roto-rooter. I had a great interview with one of our <laughs> proctologists who did the same. So you're you're among friends there. Yeah. Is um what's the recovery rate like time like? And I'm sure it varies. Obviously, like you just talked about a very extensive versus non, but is it typically I'm in and out, I have a weak recovery? What's that look like? Yeah, no, I will tell you know, I tell all my patients they're gonna hate me for one month. And basically because it's a fatigue you've never felt before. Healing from such a big operation is exhausting. So patients are typically in the hospital about five to seven days after surgery. And that's basically to make sure that they're eating, drinking, pains controlled. And then, you know, they're seeing me or someone in my clinic every couple of weeks. But for some reason, it's about that one month mark where people just actually like flip a switch and start to feel a lot better. Um, so then I allow them to hate me for one month. <laughs> I like it. Well, since they're going to be friends of yours for life, it's, it's, it's yeah, good that they get through exactly. that time. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about, what about what's on the horizon, right? I, I know that we always are doing clinical trials and we're always doing research. What's kind of coming down the pike to make this cancer easier, easier to treat or easier to detect? You mentioned a little bit about maybe possible screenings. Talk to me about the tech coming down. Yeah, you know, I think as we've seen in other fields, I think immunotherapy and molecular genetics are going to play a huge role. And so I think it's actually looking at the genetic mutations within the pancreas cancer and looking at ways that we can isolate, you know, whether it be immunotherapy or other treatment modalities to that specific genetic mutation. And I think that that is probably going to be the future of pancreas cancer. Um, you know, I think other things that would really change the field would be, as you've mentioned, if we had a screening tool. Um, and so I think that that's something, you know, if you look at lung cancer, patients who have been smoking get CT scans every year after the age of 50. Like, so we have to find some sort of screening tool for those patients who we know actually have a high rate or risk of going on to develop um, pancreas cancers. Right. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about kind of that high risk because you mentioned, you know, uh, alcohol, you mentioned obesity, you mentioned diabetes, I think you mentioned smoking even. What can I do to reduce my risk of developing pancreatic cancer? 
So I think, you know, it's just general, you know, taking good care of yourself, seeing a physician regularly and not putting off symptoms. You know, I think we all get busy. We all, you know, like put something off. But, you know, if you're losing weight, you don't have a reason for it. You're not feeling well. You know, you have risk factors, you know, be proactive because truly your your future and your, you know, long term overall survival is dependent on it. It'd be really interesting if we could use kind of this visibility that people are seeing right now with all the celebrities who have had it to, to really focus on kind of that screening and what can we do to, to save ourselves. But what about um, just general awareness? I know November, like we have pancreatic cancer has its own month, right? In November. Yes, Talk to me a little bit November. About yeah, no. <laughs> We're, it is. We're super excited. So pancreatic cancer awareness month is November. Purple is our color, um, and so um, we're planning a lot of festivities here at Providence Heart, um, but Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Day is the 18th, and so I encourage everyone to go out, wear purple. If you're watching this podcast, tell someone about it, because I think, you know, a lot of people, it's just, they don't know, so you can't change anything that you don't know about. And so because it is increasing in our population, and I will tell you, I think we're all going to be affected by pancreas cancer, uh, you know, whether it's someone, you know, or some family member. And so I think, you know, just being vocal and um, really reaching out to people. It's interesting, the color purple. I'm I'm Native American, and in our culture, purple stands for kind of this mystery or unknown, somewhat magical. So it's interesting that we're trying to do education <laughs> yes. with the color, right? That means the very thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I keep talking about pancreas, right? But I know that you also do work, what, with the liver, the bile duct, the gallbladder. There's other parts there. So let's not give pancreas its whole, whole conversation. <laughs> what, are, yeah. are any of those easier to detect or screen for? Yeah, you know, I think people, you know, with primary liver cancers, you know, many of them have risk factors such as NASH or fatty liver disease or have had hepatitis C or hepatitis B. And so they're already maybe in a screening process with either their hepatologist or their family care practice. Um, colorectal cancer, everyone should be getting colonoscopies. Um, you know, over the age of uh, 40. So I highly encourage you guys to go out there and get those uh, because much of what I do is metastatic colorectal cancer. So removing tumors from the liver where the colon has spread, uh, where the colon cancer has spread to the liver. Um, you know, I think many of my diseases are very challenging, such as the primary liver cancers. But again, I think molecular genetics is really going to change the, the face of the field. And I don't see surgery going to the wayside, but I definitely see some adjuncts down the road um, with chemotherapy options. And I I just guess I'm excited uh, about the future. Girl, did you just say colonoscopy over the age of 40? Yeah. Because didn't it used to be 50? And it used to be 50. I'm just saying. Okay. And well, so here's the skinny. So I had my first colonoscopy this year. 
Um, it was not as bad as everybody led it to be for me to believe. Like I thought it was going to be this horrible situation and it absolutely wasn't. But I did have to argue with my insurance company because they're like, you're not 50. And I was like, I'm not even close to 50. Like, what are you talking about? Excuse me. Do you see this? <laughs> I don't want to just tell me I should freeze my eggs while we're at it. Like, but it was really kind of challenging. So if, if somebody has concerns and they do want to get a colonoscopy, is that something like they should go to a primary care physician and see if they can get absolutely. a referral for? Okay. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I highly recommend it because, you know, in our country, we're just seeing a larger rate of younger people with really bad cancers and we don't really know why. And so that's why we're shifting, you know, the screening process. And then if you have any family member um, with colon cancer, you know, it also is going to shift your um, need for getting in earlier. Man. It, it wasn't fun, but it wasn't horrible. Like I, I was happy they were like, come back in five years. I'm like, I can do that. See, I, I'd only have to be mad at them for a month too. It's fine. Yeah. I'll tell you. Yeah. One day is way better than having cancer. So. Oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I feel like I've, I've asked you so many questions, but am I, is there anything I'm missing? Like, is there anything that you really feel like people should know when it comes to this topic? No, I, I think overall, I just hope that you leave. I think people, when they hear pancreas cancer or, you know, cholangio, they just think of a death sentence. And I'll tell you, I do this every day and I couldn't do it every day if I thought it was a death sentence. I, I really feel like there's a lot of hope. I love that things are changing all the time. And I just, I, I can't wait to, to see what happens in the future. So I just continue to think of this as a hopeful, a hopeful place, I think. I love that. I love that about you. I love your passion. I love the work you're doing. I do have to ask though, like, <clears throat> I, I guess my question, maybe I didn't phrase it earlier. If I think I'm at risk, say I find out that somebody in my family had it, but there's no, there's no screening for me. Do again, do I go to my primary care physician and say, Hey, I have concerns. Do I only do that? If I think I have symptoms that align with it, I guess I just want to make sure from an education perspective, we're telling people what to do. Yeah, no. So basically the current recommendation is that if you have two uh, first generation family members who have had pancreas cancer, you should be in a screening program. If you have a diagnosed um, like hereditary pancreatitis, uh, familial like Lynch syndrome, BRCA, these are people that also should be in screenings and uh, screening uh, systems. If, you know, these are the truly the only like true screenings that we do for these diseases. But if you have symptoms and have a family history or, you know, I would go see your primary care physician and see if they think they can get labs. We can get more information and see if you really do need a further workup. So then how do you make the actual diagnosis? What is it that points itself out and you go, oh, boom, this is it? Yeah. So basically to diagnose this, you need a biopsy and that's usually done with an endoscopic ultrasound, which sounds really scary, but basically it's just like an EG. It's a scope down your mouth and it has an ultrasound on it and the stomach lays right on top of the pancreas. And so they use this ultrasound to look at the pancreas. If they see a mass, they biopsy it right through the, right through the stomach. Um, a CT scan, as well as a CT of your chest, because places we're worried about this going are the liver and the lungs. That's the most common site of metastatic disease or where it would spread. I need my pancreas, right? Like you can't just take oh, it out. 
girl, it is it. okay. It is important. <laughs> it's, it's why it's one of those really cool organs, right? Yeah, no, it does two really important things. So one is endocrine function, which is insulin. So when you eat a meal, it secretes insulin. So you don't have a glucose that's out, you know, out sky high. The other thing it does is that when you eat a meal, it secretes enzymes to help you break down your, your food. And so, you know, one of the things that we think that are connected is that you know, about one in four patients who have been diagnosed with pancreas or with diabetes within the last three years go on to develop pancreas cancer. And so there's a connection, um, you know, so I may encourage people who have a new onset diagnosis of pancreas or of diabetes, you know, to see your PCP and to be very proactive because that is something that, you know, we are looking into very closely. That's really good advice. I never knew enough about the pancreas. So not this is not human, but my dog, my very old dog now, has, she's been an EPI dog. So she's got exopancreatic Aww. insufficiency. And I never realized how important those enzymes are. Like if she doesn't have enzymes, like she's not keeping it. She's not absorbing any nutrients or anything. So is it is it similar in humans if they're it having pancreas? just issues? like your dog. Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. No. Oh my so, goodness. you know. I really worry about patients when I take out the distal portion of the pancreas, I take about two thirds of the pancreas, which is not a small amount of pancreas. And so oftentimes patients can have what EPI is just, it's pancreatic insufficiency. And so basically we have enzymes, so oral enzymes that you can take that help break down uh, the food, just like as if it was being secreted by the pancreas. Um, so just like your dog, some of my patients need those enzymes and they're not, I will tell you, they could be cheaper. I'm not going to yeah, lie. They are not cheap, girl. <laughs> not at all. You your you dog. Know. I like that. <laughs> well, and the thing I've been trying to figure out is there has to be some sort of innovation coming down. Like it can't just be a powder enzyme. There's got to be something like we can choose something. We can do an injection. Like they've got to find something that's not just mix the powder into the food, get it. Like it's no, it's gotta be something else. Well, so could you get, could you get on that, please? Pills. Ours is our little capsule pills. Okay. No. Okay. Good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I know we are basically out of time, so I will offer you one last thing. Anything that we missed, or anything you do want to tell to people that came to mind? No. No. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. Well, you are a treat and you will be stuck with me as well because I really enjoyed this conversation. So I'm going to ask you to come back. Um, but I would like to thank you, Dr. Pasco, for joining us today on Let's Finish Cancer. We look forward to continuing the conversation on the whole person approach to cancer care with more experts from Providence in our future episodes. Make sure to listen to all of our shows on Dash Radio under the Future of Health Radio or on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our missions, programs, and services, visit Providence.org. Thanks for listening. And remember, at Providence, we see the life in you.